Leadership is a very interesting and complex topic to talk about. What's most fascinating to me is that there's no clear one-size-fits-all definition of leadership. If you Google leadership, the first definition is the action of leading a group of people or an organization. Merriam-Webster in similar fashion defines leadership as the power or ability to lead other people. Lastly, Kevin Cruz of Forbes more usefully defines leadership as a process of social influence which maximizes the efforts of others towards the achievement of a goal. My point here is that leadership means different things to different people. Is it a trait? Is it a skill? Are you born with it? Can you learn it? Top scholars today still struggle to converge on a universal explanation. So rather than trying to offer that seemingly impossible perfect definition, I'd like to explain what leadership means to me. That is not to say that I have all the answers. Actually, far from it. In the words of former Navy SEAL Jason Redman, if you ever call yourself an expert on leadership, you're off track. Leadership is an ongoing process, and by thinking about what makes an effective leader, we could take a step forward in becoming one. To begin, I believe there are many different ways and styles of leadership, and that certain situations inherently require leaders to tap into a different set of skills to meet the needs at hand. For example, a captain of a football team, a Navy SEAL team leader, and the CEO of a company all have very different goals, backgrounds, and likely ways of leading. Although strikingly obvious, it is an important realization. What these three leaders actually do to achieve their goals will undisputedly be different, but how they go about doing it will likely be quite similar, assuming they are effective leaders. To me, leadership is less about what a leader should do, and more about how leaders should conduct themselves and interact with those around them to maximize the capabilities of their team. I believe the effectiveness of a group of people to achieve a goal does not merely come from the skills of the group, but rather from the ability of the group to work together. Thus, if we were to narrow down the job of a leader into one single thing, it would be to create a psychologically safe environment where everyone feels comfortable, capable, and willing to contribute to the goals of the team. Personally, leadership is less about the ability to always make the right decision or express power over others. Leadership is about leveraging the immense capabilities of those around us and creating an environment that allows for a group of people to come together to achieve something that is greater than the sum of what everyone could achieve on their own. It sounds simple, but is much more challenging in practice. I think a common mistake when it comes to leadership is associating that role with a need for power and influence. That is not to say that leaders aren't powerful and influential, they most certainly are, but that is not what makes them a a leader. Great leaders have power and influence because they have a group of followers that believe in them and believe in the goals of the team. What I think is significant here is that whether we are talking about the leader of a social movement, product engineering team, or a sports team, it still applies. It would be simple-minded to assume a leader knows everything and always makes the right decision using dictatorial control to do so. Over the years in my pursuit to better understand leadership, emotional intelligence has repeatedly stood out as a driving factor of effective leadership. Emotionally intelligent leaders are not only able to understand those around them, but they understand themselves. Let's face it, leadership is hard. Multifaceted pressures, both internal and external, raise tensions, conflicts, and lead to process losses. Emotionally intelligent leaders understand how their emotions, as well as others' emotions, affect team dynamics and derail rational decision-making and performance. The ability to recognize and address these things are crucial in creating that environment where everyone can excel. Aside from deeply understanding themselves and those around them, emotionally intelligent leaders have the social skills to manage relationships with those around them and are empathetic in understanding how different people will be affected by different decisions and outcomes. Aside from emotional intelligence, the best leaders, in my opinion, are authentic and can be trusted. An inauthentic leader will never be trusted and thus will never be able to create that environment that allows the group to thrive. Authentic leaders have found a leadership style that works best for them and is embodied with what they believe in. 
They most certainly do not try to be someone or something they are not, as that will inevitably lead to inauthenticity and a lack of trust. How can you possibly believe in someone and trust them when they don't believe in themselves? With authentic leaders, you know exactly what you are working with every day and what goals and expectations they have. Rob Goffey and Gareth Jones put it perfectly when they said, Great leaders understand that their reputation for authenticity needs to be painstakingly earned and carefully managed. Jason Redmond similarly says, Credibility is the currency of all leadership. Going back to the idea that a leader's job is to create that supportive environment that allows members to put their best foot forward, we could see the importance of trust. Not only of trust for the leader, but trust for each other and for the team as a whole. If someone feels like others don't trust them, they won't bother trying to contribute. Likewise, if they don't trust others, they won't bother listening to what they have to say. In short, trust is not something that is helpful or a nice addition when it comes to effective leadership. It is something that is absolutely absolutely necessary for effective leadership. To emphasize this point, to emphasize this point, we can turn to one of the highest performing organizations in the world, the US Navy SEALs. While SEALs live a, live a very different life and have much different tasks and goals than most of us, I still think there is a lot to learn from them. I have read and watched a lot about teaming dynamics among the SEAL teams, but if there's one thing I've learned, it's the importance of trust that allows them to accomplish such great things. This might seem self-evident, but consider this. Research shows that SEALs would prefer a candidate that is mid-performing with a high perceived level of trust over the highest performers with mid-levels of trust. In other words, when they're going into life or death situations with only their five or six team members by their side, trust is more important for the SEALs than sheer skill. Finally, I believe that leaders are great listeners and are adaptable. The importance of listening ties nicely into the idea that effective leaders leverage the skills and ideas of the entire group, not just their own. Simply put, if a leader is not genuinely going to listen to the ideas and feedback of others, then there really isn't much point of a group in the first place. I think it's important to emphasize that not only will an effective leader listen to others' opinions and feedback, but they encourage others to express their opinions and challenge assumptions. When leaders stop listening to those around them and use their power to make their own decisions, not only will performance begin to crumble, but when the stakes are high enough, disaster will ensue. We saw this with the 1986 Challenger explosion, where external pressures resulted in managers and leaders ignoring scientists' proposal to postpone the launch due to the risk of O-ring failure. The result was devastating when a leak in one of the O-rings caused a spontaneous explosion of the whole rocket, killing everyone on board. Although an extreme example, it clearly shows the importance of listening and why the power of leaders of leaders can be a slippery slope. This example also shows the importance of adaptable leadership. You see, NASA was so set on meeting commitments to Congress for the launch that they became inflexible. Rather than accepting the, rea the reality that this launch was cle clearly not ready to happen despite expectations, they pressed forward. The pressures of leadership are immense and can lead to irrational decision-making. In the Challenger case, we see management pride preceding the value of human life. However, those pressures could have been addressed with better listening and flexibility. To end off, I leave you with this. There are ineffective leaders and there are effective leaders. Some leaders use their position of power to make change. However, the most effective leaders leverage the skills of those around them and have a group that wants to follow them, not a group that has to follow them. Effective leaders have a deep understanding of those around them, are authentic, trustworthy, put their pride aside and listen, and finally have a relentless dedication to what they believe in while remaining flexible. Welcome to the EL Podcast. My name is Campbell Smith. I'm a senior here at BC, and I'm the coordinator of the Emerging Leader Program, and today I'm honored to be joined by Tyler Williams. He is a senior facilitator. Tyler, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Campbell. All right, Tyler. 
So toward the beginning of your leadership philosophy, you mentioned a few different types of leaders. You give examples of a football team captain, you touch on the Navy SEALs, and you talk, talk about the CEO of a company. So can you briefly touch on uh, why you chose these particular leaders and explain kind of what they have in common in your opinion? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I sat down to write this, I sat there for a while staring at blank screen. Um, which is interesting because I've taken a bunch of leadership courses. You know, I've taken general leadership courses. I've taken leading high, high performance teams, uh, like focus on leadership lessons from the McKinsey Consulting Company. I've taken leadership and corporate accountability. So I've been exposed to a ton uh, or an array of different leadership styles, lessons. And what was most difficult for me was coming up with my own philosophy that is what I believe relevant regardless of the sector profession uh, we're talking about. So while Navy SEALs, football team captains, and CEOs all have very different problems that need to be tackled, um, what they all have in common is a support system around them that can help them achieve those goals and address those problems. But ultimately, how effectively that team works together to address those problems is dictated by how effective the leader is. So I think that's the point I was trying to get at. Thanks so much for sharing, Tyler. So I also love your point about emotionally intelligent leadership and that whole framework for thinking about leadership. So can you say a little bit more about why it is so important for leaders to have a well-developed sense of emotional intelligence? Yeah, so when talking about emotional intelligence, it always takes me back to this pretty famous Harvard Business Review article uh, by Daniel Gaines. Daniel Goleman named What Makes a Leader that I read sophomore year. And in this article, he talks about the importance of emotional intelligence and compares it to IQ, which is something everyone loves to throw around. And in short, studies have shown that a certain IQ is required to succeed in certain professions, right? But what's interesting is that once that threshold for IQ is met, emotional intelligence significantly takes over as the driving predictor of success or effectiveness from there. Uh, to kind of put it into his words, he says, when calculating the ratio of technical skills, IQ, and emotional intelligence as ingredients of excellent performance, emotional intelligence proved to be twice as important as the others for jobs at all levels. So lastly, I'll add to that and just say that a huge part of emotional intelligence is empathy and understanding those around you. And at the Naval uh, Academy Leadership Conference that I was at a couple weeks ago, this was something that speaker after speaker um, was repeatedly said. And the point here is that it is a leader's job to be fully aware of what's going on with their team and the people around them. And there's a bunch of different ways you can go about doing that. But ultimately, that responsibility falls on the leader. And when they stop doing that or are not cognizant of underlying problems going on with their team, that's when um, performance starts to fall apart. So Tyler, you close with a powerful example of kind of prideful and short-sighted leadership leading to devastation with the Challenger explosion. So how, in your opinion, can leaders take personal pride and personal gain out of the leadership process? What's maybe more important to focus on as a leader if we can set pride aside. <clears throat> yeah, so I guess the first thing I would say is that pride isn't 
always bad. You know, you want a team that has pride in what they're doing. Uh, you want a leader that takes pride in his or her work. But I think the problem comes when ego takes over and it starts affecting team dynamics, right? So, for example, when leaders start using the idea or start throwing around the idea that they know best, so they don't really need to listen to other people's opinions, they can reject what they say with no real basis for doing so other than they're in a power position so they have the right to do so, I think that's where it begins uh, getting problematic. So I guess what's more important to focus on it as a leader than pride is building community and developing those intergroup communication skills uh, and trust that allows the, the team to really thrive. And when I think about the issues of pride and ego, I draw on this case I covered in one of my classes that was about a rowing team. Um, and basically they took all the athletes and went to like a training camp and measured them on like individual team levels and basically just like did a bunch of tests to see who was or who like which ones were the fastest. And then they took all the fastest rowers and put them on the varsity team. And then the people who weren't the fastest went to the JV team. And despite the varsity team having like some of the best rowers in the country, because this was like an elite place for rowing, uh, the JV team consistently beat them at the team level when racing side by side, like time and time again. And the reason that happened was you took all the best people, put them on the same team, which is fine, but without the right team dynamics, there was way too much ego, way too much dysfunctional conflict and fighting among team members. And even though they should have been able to smoke the JV team pretty easily, they always lost because they couldn't even manage themselves. So there was no way. And I don't know how much you know about rowing at the time when we did this Harvard case, I knew nothing about it, but it's like a very integrated, like move as a unit type um, sport. And I think that just shows like how ego can completely derail and just destroy a team's performance. All right, Tyler, thank you so much for sharing all those insights about emotionally intelligent leadership, about pride versus ego, and your whole leadership philosophy. It was really enlightening. So I want to transition and close out our time together with the BC hot take question. So what I've got for you today, answer honestly, in your opinion, what is the best month on campus and why is that month the best? Um... I'd probably have to go with April. Ooh. Uh, I think there's a few good things in April, one of them being my birthday. Nice. Um, but reason for it being the best month on campus, uh, I really just like second semester when it starts getting nice out, especially living off campus. I remember last year my room was on the third floor and I could like oversee all the off-campus backyards. And then yeah. like midday, no matter what day of the week it was, you would just start hearing like music and then people gathering outside and everyone hanging out, just having a good time, taking advantage of the weather, especially like the first few nice days after being cooped up, like inside the whole winter, everyone was really ready to just like hang out and have a good time. Uh, so I'd say, I'd say for that reason, originally I thought May, but finals kind of really mess up May. And I think <laughs> April is like enough time before finals where people are like still more focused on having a good time than preparing. So say for that reason definitely april i love it super well thought out answer yeah a lot of good stuff in april there's arts fest too which is mm -hmm. super fun yeah good vibes all around on campus during that time well tyler 
Thank you so much for joining us on the EL podcast. I really appreciate you sharing with us. Thank you, Campbell.